Welcome everyone to House Call, a crit rate podcast. We are here today with another industry friend of ours. I'm proud and very excited to introduce Dustin Furman. Uh, I mean, this your bio is probably one of the longest that we've had so far. So game journal, Twitch streamer, YouTube personality, host of Secret Symbol or host of Last Stand Media's Punching Up podcast, as well as uh, executive producer and co-host of the Sacred Symbols podcast. Dustin, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you for coming today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be able to talk and, and hang out with you guys. It's been, um, it was funny just now. You and I have just been connected randomly over the last, I guess it was over about a year ago now that you and I first met each other. And I was just telling you, you know, you said I've got a long bio. I was just telling you, I'm like, you do a million things. Like you've got... <laughs> I don't know how many jobs and stuff you're doing. So it's it's exciting to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We, we are thrilled to have you. So uh, thank you for that the kind words as well. It's me and Justin. Justin Chow is here as well. I was going to oh, say two Justins. Oh, is up, that guys? confusing? <laughs> you can call me, you can call <laughs> me Chow. Chow. Okay. That's fine. Yes. And, and all of the cool stuff that happens, it's always been me and Justin. We are a, a, a dynamic duo. So I think it's, a, it's a all, all of our sort of like just insatiable desire to make cool shit <laughs> that causes sure. all this stuff to happen. Uh, but yeah, no, we're so stoked to have you. Um, we've told you a little bit about crit rate through our random encounters over the, uh, the last couple, is it years now? I don't know. Year. Yeah. Um, and when the opportunity came up for, you know, to have you on and we could just chat, learn a little bit more about you, talk about our gaming habits and, and gaming personalities. It was uh, super desirable. So I was like, yes, let's let's jump on this. So just to jump into it to start, uh, you took the crit rate profile uh, and you got Vantagist. Vantagist is one of our more interesting uh, houses. They're all interesting in their own ways. But uh I'm curious how you felt about the process, how you felt about the um, the survey and your results. So I've done different surveys like this before, but I've never felt that there was a a thing for me specifically because I, mean, I guess you would know better than me as far as the data you have. But I've always felt that I'm a non-traditional gamer in that I kind of am gravitating towards everything i'm never i've never been the type of guy that's like oh i just like jrpgs or i just like single player or, or whatever i've always been kind of all over the place and even games that normally like for example before we started recording i was telling you i'm checking out Baldur's gate 3 yeah. traditionally a game i would never play i'm not into crpgs but you know if the the if a lot of people are into something and if there's something that's appealing to me about it, then I'm just going to go for it anyway. And, and oftentimes I end up finding stuff that I really like. And so I sent you my, uh, the, the gamer traits and it's yes. mm -hmm. pretty interesting in that overall it's kind of mostly centered in a way. I've got a little bit of a, a, a lean towards solo play over multiplayer and a little bit of a lean towards difficult games. But other than that, I was like, oh, this actually understands me a bit, which is pretty cool. Love it. Well, th thank you. That's that's exactly what we were hoping for. And an important consideration is not about the types of games that you play, but more so the way that you interact with them. That's kind of like okay. the premise of it. I mean, Justin, do you want to expand on that a little bit more, just as far as like how the the survey really kind of like shows you the type of way that you're interacting with stuff? Oh, absolutely. We've only been working on it for about eight years or so. So, Dustin, I'm really glad that you went through the survey. 
Um, but basically, I would say like over the past like that over the past like eight or so years that Justin and I had this idea back in like 2015. Um, we've been working with uh, our two other friends too, Liz and Alex, and they've been a huge uh, input to this as well. But the overall dynamic of what we believe in a video gamer doesn't really distill down to like the genres of games that they play, right? So it all started with essentially like, so way, way back when, Guild Wars 2, there's a moment where I was playing with like a whole bunch of other people. We had like a guild of like 150 people, but we started noticing that there were specific groups of people like clicks within the group we're all playing the same game but i started realizing that there's so many different people playing the same game so differently and then falling into these different categories right then i started doing a little bit of research and justin and i's research kind of found like bar uh what is it like bartle's taxonomy and like breaking down the psychology of gamers and then we started trying to like discern okay well interestingly enough if it's not based off of necessarily like genre maybe it's based off of you know, different types of motivations, which led us to other types of research. But uh, here, after a while, after a long time of like trial and error, we, uh, we came down with these seven different key criteria traits. And if you're finding that you're kind of like in the middle of all of the traits, then essentially that shows that you're more like balanced between each of these individual pieces. Not necessarily that you're neither, but actually that you're more like on, on the both side. Um, so it's a funny that you're mentioning you're playing a lot of things and you're kind of ingesting a lot of different types of games, but at the end of the day, it does kind of like prove to the, the idea of as you're playing games, there are specific things in the game that is resonating with you more than others. Interestingly enough, on your side, it seems like a lot of things resonate with you almost equally amongst a lot of the games. Um, and it, it stands to reason. I mean, so overall, when you were looking at the, at the criteria specifically, were there any ones there that felt like they were more truthful to you? And like, did you have any particular types of, I don't know, uh, experiences or case studies that you can draw on to say, oh, I'm definitely more of a difficult player rather than like going down easier routes, or I'm definitely more on the practical way of problem solving rather than the experimental side? Yeah, well, you really cued that up for me as far as saying like, are you more into the difficult? Because as listeners of Sacred Symbols know, I'm a huge From Software fan and you are. <laughs> uh so that really i mean that's the one the one like kind of stronger lean for me is that like yeah i love love difficult games like that the whole like you know the thing that the nerd who loves from software always say that it's like oh it's tough but fair that is a hundred percent where i'm at where there's other games i've played kind of like that but it doesn't you know if it's like either you know Sometimes they'll take that formula and make it a little more arcadey, and I'm not always into something like that. Or uh, maybe it's it's tough, but it doesn't quite feel right, uh, or it doesn't you know feel fair in some ways. So I definitely find myself leaning towards more difficult games. But again, it's not necessarily it's not like on my graph that it's just difficult because mm -hmm. there are certain games that I'll play that are like so easy. In particular, I think of. Um, Kirby in the Forgotten Land yeah, was yeah. probably one of the most easy games I've played in recent memory, but I still had a great time with that. I wouldn't say it was like amazing or anything, but I still appreciated it in a different way. So that's definitely uh, probably, I would say on my list, like probably the biggest lean. And then the other one is like solo and, and multiplayer in that I get in phases where I play multiplayer games like every few years i'll get into call of duty for a little bit and get really heavy into that and then it just kind of goes away for for yeah. months at a time and then 
most recently, as far as multiplayer, I've been playing uh, Remnant 2 with some friends, mm. which has been pretty fun just hopping in. But it's never been like consistent split time between solo and multiplayer. It has to be like a specific instance or something that my friends are playing. I'm not just actively searching for something like that. But yeah. again, at other points in my life, I mean, when, when I was, when destiny one came out and parts of destiny two, it was like multiplayer all the time. So those are probably the, the two biggest leans. But when I look at the other ones too, like, I'm pretty dead set like the on the creativity one it's like practical experimental mm-hmm. and it's interesting in that sometimes a creative game for me even if it's not great uh, as far as like overall it could still be good like for example I just played that viewfinder game which I thought was mm-hmm. pretty interesting not necessarily great in in some different ways in terms of like its story and in the end, it felt a little hollow, but I still appreciate it for I'm like, oh, this is at least I've never played anything like this before. So, um, but yeah, I was. Uh, so, so those are probably the, the, the biggest ones. But like I said, pretty split in the middle. Yeah, I would definitely agree with your your like uh, understanding of how some of those play towards like how you're playing games. But it, it's actually. One way to think about the the results is also not necessarily whether or not you like difficult games over easy games, but no matter what game you play, are you choosing specific paths that are more difficult, maybe higher yielding rewards, for instance? Like, are you playing, you know, Kirby Forgotten City with the idea of Forgotten Land with the idea of like collecting all of the stuff, you know? Or oh yeah, like, and I was definitely doing that. You, <laughs> dude, yeah, you see, so honestly, like, I'll throw this out there: not for nothing, the end of Kirby. And the Forgotten Land oh, is yeah. like wicked hard. Like those last mm-hmm. like handful of bosses are crazy hard. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it is funny that you bring it up. Like playing an easy game the hard way. The Not that you're creating way. challenge, but I just finished Pikmin Four last night, oh, nice. and I almost never 100 percent games, but I got every treasure uh, and got all the rescues and stuff like that, and it was like. The final area is not required, but I, I was, it was the hardest part, and it was pretty awesome. So, um, so yeah, I, I definitely understand what you're saying with that. Yeah, actually, and funny, last bit before I to- uh, change it back over to Justin real quick. That totally also makes sense, because like one of our houses also called the Ascendaries, right? Very high ranking in essentially those who like to you know, achievement hunt, get the trophies, complete the game to its max capacity, try everything that the developer has ready for them or developed for them. And between your Vantages score and your Ascendary score, your Vantages score is at a 54, which means that you're 54% out of 100% like the uh, exemplar of the Vantages. But then Ascendary is at 51, which means you're only three points away. So you're very much split between these two. In both of those houses. Interesting. That's interesting, yeah. Ascendary is the house that I'm in as well. And it does, I think... I think it plays into kind of like the way that we process content. And it's funny because as you were talking about how you're kind of open to all different types of games and all of this, it there's part of me that like I see some alignment there basically because like when you're in like a games media type role, a big part of that is to allow yourself to experience everything because you kind of want to have an opinion about whatever's going on. So you kind of like, you know, 
push yourself into genres that you maybe you're not so uh, comfortable with or what have you because you want to be able to have this sort of like holistic perspective on games. So I, I wonder how much of that might play into, uh, you know, the the types of games you find yourself playing. Like, like so let's just take Baldur's Gate for an example. You said this is in a genre that you might not normally play, but like what kind of like pushed you in that direction? So it there is a factor for me where a game is just getting insane reviews or people that are playing it or enjoying it where it's like, okay, well, sometimes something is so uh, highly praised that even if it's something I'm not into, mm-hmm. maybe maybe I won't become a fan of CRPGs, but maybe I'll like the best one. You know yeah. what I mean? So I, I'm th- with you. That's kind of the big, big thing for me is that it's like, I just have FOMO. Um, and normally yeah. When, yeah. when it's something this big, it's like, usually i find that it's it's funny uh i always joke about this with anime because they talk about like normie animes and people you know that the hardcore anime fans complain about them like usually when something when a lot of people are into something it's usually because there's something there yeah Um, so so so, yeah i'm gonna steal this for a perfect segue so this actually is part of the foundation of what crit rate is kind of built on right so we have our own review system that goes into crit rate and it's based on the opinions of other people inside your house. So it's not meant to, or intended to replace something like a Metacritic or anything like that, because while Metacritic exists as a measurement of quality, uh, crit rates, uh, percentages are based on fit. Like, is this game for you? So a good game will always be good, but it might, you know, it might more or less fulfill the types of, you know, uh, gaming habits or preferences that you personally have. So it's almost like complementative in that way. So it, it's interesting yeah. that you said that. Well, it's, it's, I, I wonder if we, if we ever had Colin and Chris, the, you know, the co-hosts of sacred symbols to do this, just to see how different we are. And that's yeah. a great thing you bring up because, Colin will say a game like Far Cry 6 is a 10 out of 10 game yeah. of the year. And honestly, you'd have to pay me to play that game. Like, I just <laughs> I have, I have no interest in that at all. But yeah. it's so you're right in that there is some kind of like level of like fit is this game for this type of gamer. And I think about that sometimes when I play games. It's very important to me because you know that you know there's always that guy that only recommends the things he loves. And he's like, oh, totally. you're going to love this. It's like, no, 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 you like this. Yeah. But for me, when it comes to recommending stuff, it's like, okay, so what does this person like? Like, is yeah. this going to be in line? So it sounds like that's what the site is trying to do, right? Yeah, that's, so that, that's we, exactly right. Sorry, go ahead, Justin. Way back when, we called it the <laughs> the lunch table philosophy because we were really trying to, at the time, okay, uh, like, at the time when we really wanted to enter into the video game industry, a lot of the things that we were thinking of was like, well, I can't develop and my design skills are pretty terrible at best. So what can I, what can I add to the conversation? I'll start a video game blog. You know, I'll start mm-hmm. making video game reviews. One of the things that we started trying to do is distill down to kind of like core components. Like what is, what goes into a video game review one? And then two, like what are people actually like trying to listen to or hear, right? And what we started seeing was like, YouTubers or podcasters or any type of influencer or content creator essentially has a sense of relatability. And the idea is if I can relate to this person and I understand where they're coming from, therefore their review and their recommendation is so much more credible, right? So we started thinking back in the day when, you know, I don't know whether it be like Game Informer or whatnot, we would bring that back to the lunch table to talk to our friends about these cool new games that were coming up and then talking to each other about what games are exciting to us or what we're playing right now. And essentially it came down to the idea of 
well, who's speaking and who's listening? Are these two people, do they understand anything about each other? And it's nice to know that like, you know, like the, the, some of the, I would say like uh, journalists in the world now in the gaming industry, like they definitely have a personality and perspective to them. So people will latch onto those opinions, understanding those, but a lot of people out there just look at scores and then they just make a decision based off of the number, right? So yeah. my thinking was, is there a way to mesh these two things together to essentially create that context and relatability between people and then have them talk openly about what games they like without having to worry about, oh, I actually didn't like Elden Ring. I know it's the game of the year, but it was a, it was a terrible game for me, right? And then being, yeah. I don't know. So uh, you can't, you can't really quantify that. that by saying it's a, a bad game because it's not a bad game. It's legitimately right. a fucking great game, but like, yeah. you know, yeah. it just might not be the type of game for you, you know? Can um, I ask actually, Dustin, so like yeah. now, that we're, now that we're talking about, I've, we've been big fans of the Sacred Symbol podcast for a while. And I know the new Punching Up uh, Nintendo podcast is on. And you have a lot of people that you're podcasting with at all hours of the day, all week long. Between all of them, which one is like, I would say, the most relatable, not even most relatable, which one of them would give you recommendations and games that they like that you can relate to the most out of all of those other hosts that you're working with? Hmm. This is tough, and I actually think that's a good thing because it we really all are pretty unique in our mm. tastes overall. And it's weird because I, I and maybe this just attributes to me being um, in the house that I'm in is just that I when when Chris says like, man, this game has great game feel and the flow is awesome i'm like ooh, okay if he's saying that and he's a guy that cares about this then this is definitely worth checking out right mm. um or when when colin's talking about like a, a deep story or rpg mechanics or something like that i'm like mm, okay or particular mm. for colin when he talks about uh old school style games um you know he was recently playing um bat boy and then he was playing another one uh, just last week, and I can't remember what it's called. Uh, one, another uh, like eight bit style game. He's very, very well versed in games like that, and so he usually has a good feel for that. But if I had to say overall, it might be Gene uh, yeah. that I get along with mm -hmm. the most, just because he is very diverse in his tastes as well. But he does have a strong um, Japanese game slant, like I do. Mm -hmm. That's like, yeah, if if I given the option, like I'm probably mostly playing Japanese games throughout the year. And I think he is too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Such an awesome guy to have on, uh, on punching up with you. I mean, he's probably got one of the craziest, uh, like histories Resumes. in the, in the industry, like ever. Right. And actually yeah. I'm, I'm going to leverage this as a good transition point to ask you a bit about your trajectory into games media and how you basically got associated with this podcast, you know, started like working with smaller brands and now you're in basically the biggest, you know, PlayStation podcast in the world right now and hosting your own Nintendo podcast. Like it's quite a journey. So I'm just kind of curious and I'm sure the listeners are as well, where your journey began and how, you know, all the ebbs and flows that got you to where you are now. Yeah. So it, I mean, it started, when did it start? It was probably what it would have been around, 2014 or 15 where i was like okay i listened to a podcast called beyond from yep. ign which was their playstation podcast and started to realize like oh people really do talk about video games for a living and at the time i was doing video production work at a, like a local place near me 
I was like, this would be a good thing to, to work towards. And so it started as my own podcast at the time with my one friend and then eventually evolved into this website we created called Handsome Phantom, which is still around, um, where we were just kind of, I don't want to say fake it till you make it because we never lied to anybody, but you just kind of are like writing reviews, you're asking people for codes, you're requesting to get into places that maybe you don't deserve to be. And like I said, we were never lying, but we were just like, yeah, we're just, this is what we're doing. We try to sound confident and eventually worked our way up to like going to E3 and stuff like that. And we were like, holy crap, like we don't deserve to be here at all. Dustin, for the fact that your name is just one letter away from ours, it's very similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the trajectory is so unbelievably uncanny. It's, it's kind of crazy, yeah. but oh, yeah. sorry. Con- please continue. Yeah, so it was just um, a lot of learning the ropes about just not only like the technical aspect of production and, and being on podcasts, but also just like what learning about the industry. And it was through that that eventually I met Colin um, which, as I said, I mean, beyond for anyone who doesn't know, that was Colin's mm. podcast years ago at IGN that really brought him uh, to prominence and was probably like the first true success in gaming podcasting. Yeah. Maybe not I mean, the it, first, but it eclipsed Daily Scoop. I mean, Daily Scoop was pretty much like the the top of the the you know the top of the king of the castle for like the longest time, and right. beyond it ended up uh, eclipsing that. I think like really early on, actually, it was w- yeah. when that transition happened, when it was like him and Greg that took it over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I eventually met him through the fact that uh, my so Ben and I, my uh, who's now the producer of Last Stand, Ben Smith, we were running Handsome Phantom together and we were at E3, I believe. And so this is where the story gets a, a little weird, but I promise you it's true, is that Ben <laughs> at the time was the mayor of the town that I live in. <laughs> so what? Ben had this like, career, yeah, he was legit the mayor, Butler, Pennsylvania. You can look it up. Uh, we like campaign together. I was his campaign manager, like knocking on doors. And, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, a, such a bizarre ben was, <laughs> situation. Ben was the mayor and Colin was doing a show called Fireside Chats. And so he was like soliciting the audience. Like, if you're interesting, tell me and I'll have you on the show. So Ben reached out to him. And when we went out to Los Angeles, Ben was on the show and he was nice enough. Colin was like, oh, yeah, you can bring your friend Dustin. That's fine. So that's where I first met him on a professional level. I actually met him at Comic-Con a few years before, but that was just a real baseline interaction. And then so you said it was at an E3. Can I ask you which E3 it was? This would have been the third. So maybe 2017. No, 2018. It would have been 2018. Okay. Because there's one E3 after that. Yeah. 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 So it would have been E3 20. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's just interesting. Justin and I have a bit of a history at E3, and it would be like very interesting if we were sort of like floating in the same atmospheres, you know, all those years ago. Oh, dude, I, I 100% believe we were. I mean, we we didn't get into every press conference, but we did get into some of them. Yeah, dude, I have a wild story where we uh, we totally snuck our way into the giant Fortnite party in oh, 2018. Really? Um, Interesting. How'd you so, sneak in? What were yeah, you play? What key card did you have to well, find? <laughs> I think Ben and you know I don't think I don't know if I've told this on any show before. Maybe I told it on on like a Twitch stream or something. But we I have we were invited. 
keep going. Yeah, so here's here's what happened. This is a funny story. We we were invited to the pro am officially, which was like their first big Fortnite tournament. Um, mm-hmm. And this is when I mean Fortnite was huge at this point, but it wasn't quite this. I don't know. It was it felt different back then. So there was a big after party. And we were not officially invited to that. But we were like, well, let's just go scope out the party after the Pro-Am and see if we're on a list, like a different list. So we asked people at the door, and they're like, no, you're not on any list. Uh, but we'll write your name down on the back of this piece of paper um, and, and a phone number, and we'll let you know. We'll have, we'll have the person that's in charge. They may reach out. We're like, okay, okay well, we're not getting in. We go back to our hotel. And Ben's like, well, our name was written down on that paper. Do you want to go try to get in? I was like, Heck well, yeah. what else are we going to do? <laughs> Heck yeah. So, so we go back to the party and we're like, hey, uh, we're here, but we're on a different list. And she, we, we, we made sure to go to the same entrance. And then he's like, oh, um, I don't see your name here. And Ben's like, actually, I think we're on the back of that piece of paper. Dude, <laughs> where the other lady right wrote down our names. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, I see your names here. You're you're good. Oh, so we, awesome. So we got in, um, and, you know, we just had a nice time. Logic was performing, and, like, we oh, got... Oh, sick. How cool. You know. So that was... I, it was one of those things where it was, like, maybe not totally uh, ethical, but it also wasn't totally wrong either. But, Dude, uh, you know, we just hung out. ate the some shots you are given, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. by any means days. necessary. You see the, the board in front of you and you play the game. That's it. Right, yeah. So, yeah, we had tons of fun at, fun at E3 and doing stuff like that. And then I met Colin. And then it was a few months later. This would have been um, December 2017. Well, no, no, that doesn't make sense. December 2018. Yeah. Where, um, oh, well, a few months before that, actually, where Colin was looking for an editor and I, I think Ben had heard it on a podcast that I hit, didn't listen to. So Ben just happened to hear it. That's how mm. circumstantial this is. And I emailed Colin. I was like, hey, heard you. I met you this um, over, you know, in the summer, E3. Um, I heard you were looking for an editor. This is my skill set. And I, it's funny because I listened to Colin for so many years. I'm like, be brief. Like, this yeah. guy, he's not going to like if I write four paragraphs. Yeah. So... Colin initially was like, well, he was a little hesitant because he was like, I'm looking for someone local, but I'll give you a shot. And so I edited my first episode, um, and this was like fine audio editing, so like taking out ums and ahs and stuff like that, was the Metal Gear Solid episode of Knockback was my mm-hmm. first episode. Okay. And so he liked my work, so I was then the official editor of Knockback, and then eventually he added on uh, Fireside Chats for me to edit. And then eventually, I remember the big one was Sacred Symbols. He's like, hey, this is a big deal. Like, you can't, don't fuck this up. I think yeah, is literally yeah. what he told me. I was like, okay. So that's eventually <laughs> what I was doing. And it, it sucked for a little bit because I was still doing my editing job. I was editing three podcasts a week for Colin. And I was also bartending at Ben's Speakeasy because Ben also owned businesses. Oh, man. So I was bartending. And I was like, I just need Colin to just you know, let's work something out. Let's just bring me on in an official capacity. And I remember like one night he was randomly, I was telling him like, yeah, I'm a little busy right now. He's like, well, why don't I just bring you on and just pay you a little more. And then you won't have to worry about that. Yes, this is, this is it. You know, this (laughs) is the moment that I waited like so long for the moment. They, um, and it's funny because I always heard Colin say this, like you gotta, you gotta keep knocking at the door, you know, you know, knocking at the door. And eventually when someone peeks open, you got to slam your foot in and and give them no excuse to push you out. And I'm like, yeah. no, this is, I'm I'm officially inside now. And then yeah. from there, I mean, things just kind of 
continually escalated where uh, we rebranded the company in 2020 and that's when I became executive producer. So a lot more responsibilities and input and stuff. And then eventually Colin put me on sacred symbols, which was never an ambition of mine. I never thought like, Oh, now that I'm in the company, I'm eventually going to work my way onto the top shelf. Like never yeah. thought that ever. What was the um, conversation that like led to that? Because he must have either like seen something in you or you must have shared an opinion where he was just like, Oh, Dustin knows what he's talking about. Like, let's, let's have him on. Like, was it something like that? We, so I think that he may be, I, I've never talked to him about this, but I've, I've speculated in my mind that he knew that I was podcasting on my own. And he also, I was podcasting with, maddie and acg mm, and so okay. he knew that i had some podcasting chops at that point and which by the way low-key maddie coolest dude on earth yeah like i've, I've had the, the opportunity to meet him twice seriously just one of the nicest people ever dude and he i don't know how he does everything that he does because he's got like multiple youtube channels and he's making a game and yeah. he's just uh and it, of course to duke so yeah shout out maddie yeah we should have him on here soon I also oh, yeah. want to have Ben on here. It sounds like he has one of the craziest histories. Yeah. Like, oh, dude, he. I can. I can easily help you with that. Have him on. He would. He, I'm sure he would do that in a heartbeat. So heck yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Long story short, it was just like this slow escalation over many years. And and what I always tell people about it is just that, uh, like for you, you know, you mentioned about we talk about being on sacred symbols. Um, when I started doing that, a lot of people were like, wow. Uh, Dustin's a natural for not podcasting. And I was like, no, I have no natural talent. Like, duh, <laughs> I appreciate it. But, and I always tell people that want to get into this, I'm like, you should podcast for many years with nobody listening. Yeah. Because that's the only way that you're going to get good at it is no one's going to want you to be on their podcast or pay you to podcast if you've never done it before. You just have to like slowly work at it. And eventually you get somewhat okay at it to eventually do it. Um, so, funny story. I, it's uh, I'm very, very blessed. I'm very thankful. I feel like I rolled the dice at the right time, um, which is unfortunate. I mean, there's only so many jobs in this industry and stuff, and it's so hard to break out. So well, that, that's uh, I'm thing. very thankful how it all worked out. I, yeah, I think the, one of the big lessons there, and, and this reflects a lot. You know, I mentioned that this was very much uh, similar to Justin and, and my journey in the industry as well, where like those first couple of years, like post-college, I mean, I'll, I'll give you the, the the abridged version, but when I was in college, I started writing game reviews on a live journal, if anyone remembers what live oh, journal is. hell yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I got a certain level of enough notoriety where I got my first invitation to E3 in 2009. Um, and this was literally just me finding one girl's email address and just blowing her up constantly <laughs> and being like... I'm this aspiring game reviewer. I'm really trying to like find my way, blah, blah, blah. And she eventually gave me a ticket. Now this was pre like open to everybody E3. Yeah. And it was like, Oh my God. So they wrote like, so I was friends with one of the guys that ran a newspaper at my college. And then he wrote an article and it was like local gamer gets invitation to conference, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then Justin, who was at my same college saw it. And we were only acquaintances at this point. He kind of approached me and was just like, Hey, so can you take me with you to E3? <laughs> And I was like, uh, hello. Also, maybe. I don't know. Um, I would like to also so I would like to add that we weren't just acquaintances. I mean, there was times where I was sitting in your fraternity room and we were just playing like Crystal Chronicles together. A lot of Smash all Brothers. Of yeah. And a lot of Smash yeah, Brothers. So, okay. I, I I understand. Anyway, that's that fine. But it was, cool. it was clearly friends, a leap. It was a it was a leap in the friendship. 
But um, we ended up going to E3 in 2011 was the first one that we went to together. And, you know, at the time I was working at a hotel. So we got our hotel rooms basically for free and these like nice, high, ridiculous hotels. And after the first night of us being in this hotel, Justin and I are like standing on this balcony and Justin looks at me and he's just like, we need to do this for the rest of our lives. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. OK, like, let's do it. Right. Um, and then very similar, we started a brand called The Zero Review, and we were just hustling game reviews and news and trying to break stories and, you know, failing most of the time, but, you know, getting a little Sneaking bit of traction. Parties. There's yep. a time where... Sneaking where... into parties, doing all this stuff, you know, uh, tr- yeah. like hustling to try to get codes and whatnot. Uh, and we saw a good amount of success with it. We, you know, we had a little bit of lift on YouTube and all that. Uh, we started podcasting back then. So, you know, this technically is like the 360th podcast that we've done. So similar kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, eventually that brand evolved into, uh, crit rate, which is what we're on now. And then, you know, kind of all of the, you know, we talk about all this other stuff that we're doing. So it's like the record stuff was a bridge from here. The Eon stuff was a bridge from here. Uh, and it's funny cause that I, I went back and looked it up. I think that was technically the first brush we ever had. Cause you guys reviewed one of our products on handsome phantom. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the Nintendo 64 one. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, Somehow so Ben bizarre. ended up with that and I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed by it. I'm like, Hey, well, you got to keep the, the Nintendo <laughs> but, so did you guys start that brand? Like it was just, you guys like thinking of a name and just going for it. Yeah. So that initially the podcast that I had started with my friend, Brandon, this was before Ben was involved, was just called adventure mode. Mm-hmm. And eventually we, started putting our podcast on YouTube and we realized we had a major problem and if you search adventure mode all you were getting was Diablo 3 <laughs> videos. Okay. So we eventually decided like yeah, we need to rebrand and we can also just like have an overarching name and Handsome Phantom was just something we thought sounded cool. So we just and no You're one right. had used it. it. So <laughs> so we cool. went with that and um yeah, and that was around around that time too was when we first got Ben involved. And that was kind of that was kind of fresh into Ben and I's friendship because we knew each other from, as I mentioned a little earlier, Ben owned a speakeasy downtown, but this he originally owned a brewery on Main Street, and I met him because I was a patron there. That I would go to this oh, okay. brewery, and I eventually met and became friends with him through that. How and cool. he was into podcasting. He was doing like a history podcast, and he had done some different game industry stuff beforehand as well. Uh, he ran a site called That Gamer Hub. If, okay. So I don't know. That would have been around that same time, like 2009 or something. But anyway, so he had some experience. And I remember uh, Brandon and I had a meeting with him. I'm like, so we've been podcasting. We think we're okay at it. Uh, but we only get 20 downloads a week. And half of them are from our devices. So we were wondering if you could help us since you have a successful podcast. Um so yeah, that's kind of kicked that off. And he was like, you got to have a website, you got to do all the stuff for SEO. And so eventually that kind of just became a, a partnership. And like I said, Handsome Fam's still around. That podcast that started between Brandon and I is still continuing in the HP podcast today, which is, like awesome. I said, still happening. Did you like hand the brand to like some friends or some capable other game journos or? So no, Ben is still, Ben is the host of that. And Brandon is on that with him as long, along with our friend, Dave, uh, that we we met through doing this. How cool. And and so, yeah, it was one of those things where when I left the show, it was partially because 
I was podcasting with Maddie. I was podcasting with Hands of Phantom, and I was starting to be on Sacred Symbols. And Colin was like, "I need you to cut back a little bit. I'm not asking for full exclusivity, mm-hmm. but I need at least a little bit." And I was like, "Well, I think it's time for me to to probably go here." Um, mm, so, yeah. so yeah, um, I think that that's the the long history. But it's awesome to hear you had the same same experience as us, and that like obviously we we had ambitions of of trying to do something and make careers out of it but honestly it was like just a ton of fun where it's like yeah we're gonna hang out and eat pop tarts at one in the morning and and watch stupid shows and then wake up at seven to get over to the convention hall and want to die because you're so tired and you've been eating nothing but garbage all week and just being hanging out with the boys you know it's just well well, that's great memories that was the coolest thing. And I feel like that's really what sort of like built the camaraderie amongst our group. I mean, at our biggest TZR had, I mean, Justin, what were we juggling? Like nearly 20 people. We had about 20 people, like 13 of which were writers. Then we had our own developer, a designer. There was, you know, we had project managers. We were trying really hard (laughs) and we found a lot of people who were just, again, kind of like super passionate in the, or wanted to be in the industry bad enough. And then would tell us kind of like what they wanted to do, whether it be, you know, video producing and editing or if it was about writing or if it was about like interview stuff we would try to put them in the right position and then meet as many people and then it was Justin and my my job essentially to go into these conventions and go into the media rooms and like just start to handshake people and meet people a lot of which were like our heroes at the time Mm -hmm. and that was the thing where you said it's kind of like you know fake it till you make it and that couldn't be more true and I and I really am driving with what you were saying before as far as uh you know, how much fun it is, because really, I think so much of the camaraderie that we had came from, you know, we would all be just busting our ass, like writing, you know, 10 articles a day, like really just trying to get something out there. And then like the one that broke a story, we felt like was this huge victory. And like, then when we like, you know, we hit up our PR company and they were like, hey, we got all the tickets to PAX. And we're like, guys, we're all going to PAX. You know what I mean? Everyone gets so amped about it. And then, like, you know, we might get a review code and, like, then you just feel so cool because you're, like, handing out these review codes to, like, B, C list games. And people, you don't care because you got the game for free. So it's, like, this is yeah. the best. Dude, you know? it, uh, and it's so funny, too, when you're talking about these situations. I remember the most out of my depth I ever felt was somehow PlayStation, invi- well, not invited us, but we were accepted into PSX. That's huge. Uh, nice. Honestly, I'm so jealous because that's such, like... It's such a moment in time, and now it's gone forever, you know? I know, dude. I just, I remember being in that press room. It was, like, this small press room where you could play, like, Shadow of the Colossus and stuff like that. And my friend Brandon's like, holy fuck, Justin Roiland is doing an interview in the next, like, through that door. The door was open, and I saw him. I was like, what are we doing? doing here Dude, like this so well let me well, i need to like paint a picture for you just so you can yeah, kind of sure. understand the dynamic that justin and i have so when so obviously our names are justin and justin's which is kind of amazing because it really allows us to sort of seal the deal when we meet people because it's like it, you're not going to forget that you know mm-hmm. um but the dynamic that both of us have it's like i i feel like i'm the more nerdy of the two of us and justin's the more cool you are. and justin's the more cool oh. one of the two of us i don't know uh, about that I, I often refer to him as deadly charismatic which is to say that if justin wants to be your friend you don't have a, an option you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's happening 
Um, so what we would do is we would, we would go into these press rooms, which first of all, like the first press room you get into, you feel like such a fish out of water. You're like, what am I doing here? I remember we walk in, we see like all the IGN folks with like these briefcase laptops all set up, like editing videos and we're, and we're just in there with like this little hand notebook. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but when we were in there, I would like lean over to Justin and I was like, I, I think the most specific one was when we were at GDC 2015. We go into the press room and I, I don't know if I'm not sure how much older we are, but, uh, the, are you familiar with area five or one up show or any of this stuff? It's a little before my time, but I know about one up. I'm so I'm almost 30 30 next month. Okay, so we're, I'm oh, 35, nice. so I might just just have edged a little bit more uh, before right. that. Your 30s, man. But, it's uh, a lot of fun here. We're, we're all here, you know? Yeah. Um, so for much of the er- early stages of my life, I was obsessed with games media. Like, I would, I would, like, come home from college and just, I would literally get all of my birthday money, whatever money I made delivering pizzas and all that stuff, and I would subscribe to every gaming magazine that existed. I would even drop the hundred bucks, whatever, to get like the four issues of Edge that, you know, they would import from the UK. Like, I didn't give a shit. I, I just wanted everything, right? Um, but my favorite magazine out of all of them was EGM. And when they broke off to do the One Up show, I was totally obsessed with the One Up show. And like the guys that ran that show, like Jay Fresh and all this stuff, they were like heroes to me, right? Because I'm I, this was like just pre YouTube where they had like their own self player. And I was just like, Oh my God, like these guys are just hanging out, talking about games and shooting videos. This seems like the coolest thing in the world. Right. And that, that was kind of like the inflection point after one up show, they broke off and made a, a channel called uh, area five TV. Um, and at that time, 2015, Justin and I are at GDC and we're in this press room and across the way, I'm like, dude, like that's, you know, that's Ryan from the one up show, like, or, or from area five. I was like, He's like, we got to go say hi to him. And Justin's like, okay, so who is he? And I'm like, his name's Ryan. They did this, whatever. And he's like, no problem. And he just cold walks up to him. And he's just like, oh, hey, Ryan, like, what's up? And just completely, but like breaks the door open, like no icebreaker. Like we're just in there. And I was like, wow, like this is fantastic. So that sort of created this dynamic with Justin and I where like, I would kind of give him the scoop. I'm like, this is why this person's important. Yeah. And then he would just close the distance, you know? See, I needed him in my life many times because I'm... <laughs> I I'm guessing yeah, I'm like definitely. you where I'm just kind of shy and I would talk to people, people I deeply respected and same type of thing. Like I remember, I mean, first time meeting Colin, I was nervous meeting other people too. Like it's funny how it works out. I remember meeting um, some of the guys from easy allies mm, and mm. I was like, Oh man, I love these guys. I got to make, I can't, you know, look stupid or anything like that. Yeah. Um, which is crazy because now uh, Brad Ellis is somewhat yeah. like we were just playing Remnant the other day together. That's and we awesome. ended up having like oh, this like sick. very cute bromance moment uh, on Twitter where he was like, hey, I really like your stuff. Oh, I like your stuff. And so it's. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so it's, it's funny how that's that kind of stuff works out. But dude, I was always felt so socially awkward, awkward. And it's funny too meeting some of these people because some of them are way nicer like they're like oh my that was the sweetest guy ever and some of them you're like hmm oh yeah um, Dude, I, and you remember i don't know there's some people i won't name them but i will i will always remember of being not very nice to people that weren't 
on Dude, their level. I will have no problem naming names. The first time I met Adam Sessler, he was such a dickhead to me. <laughs> and then like, I met him. So. And I will say one of I'll credit where credit's due. Probably the most insane redemption arc from zero to like like absolutely totally uncool interaction to like one of the coolest interactions that I had in 2009 E3. I met Jeff Keeley for the first time. And again, little awkward, little scared. Don't fish out of water. What am I doing here? Kind of thing. And when I met him, he totally blew me off. I was just like, Hey Jeff, like, you know, I, it's so cool to see you in person, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I'm saying some lame stuff and he's just like, listen, I'm busy and like totally shuns me. And I was just like, it was a complete glass shatter moment where I was like, you know what? Fuck this guy. Like whatever. (laughs) Then like three or four years later, we go back to another E3 and, uh, and I see him again. And I was just like, you know what? Like I'm going to, I'm going to approach him again and I'll say, and I'll say what's up. So I, uh, I came by and I was just like, yo, Jeff, like nice to see you. Hope you're having a good day. You know, whatever. And he was just like, Oh, Hey, what's going on? And I was like, this is going to sound weird, but like we ran into each other a couple years ago at E3 and he was just like, seriously, (coughs) he was like, I was such an asshole back then. I really hope I wasn't rude to you. And I was just like, Oh, it was nothing. "Ah." You're fine. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like, you know what? A lot of respect for that. That was very cool to sort of like redeem himself in that way. That's the thing for me now. it, It, it's funny. Um, meeting some some listeners sometimes because i just think about like i understand how i felt when i met colin and so now there's some people meeting me and i'm like there is there was no reason for me to ever feel nervous or weird or anything like that um yeah and it's like i never i i think about some of the negative experiences that i've had and you know you mentioned this one about jeff Keeley. it's like i just i'm always like this person might remember every single part of this conversation. So I have to make sure it's good. And I don't come off in any bad way just because I don't, you know, that's, you will remember that moment with Jeff Keeley for the rest of your life. Probably. I mean, well, luckily that's what you, you had that chance to redeem, but not everyone does have that chance. Well, that, that, that's exactly it. Right. It's uh, you know, you have to just be, just be a, a normal person, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like there, there might be some <clears throat> like fan interactions that probably don't go so well where people don't really know how to like handle themselves appropriately. Um, well, it's hard when you listen and you hear and you like watch these people, celebrities, right? On like a weekly basis. And then you finally see them in person and you feel like you know them very casually, but at the same time, they don't really know you and you're not really sure how to jump into that conversation. It's, it's tough being a normal person, I would say. Like just being in that media room the press room at GDC, and by the way, we got there by complete luck. It was like, well, I was working in the city at the time, and I met somebody at one of these parties who was like, oh, yeah, I work for 47. You want a press badge? I could totally get you one. I was like, Justin, guess what? <laughs> but like, when we get there, it's absolutely like we're meeting like some of the you know editors-in-chief at the time from like the Escapist magazine. We met Steve Butts at one point from IGN. It was just you'd talk to these people, and you're like, hello, giant person in this industry. I am some person who has a blog. How are you doing? Like mm-hmm. it's it's difficult to be a normal person sometimes. I don't know. Dude, yeah. it's so funny how much our stories are similar because when we got into the way we got into PAX was we met someone that was doing PR for a game that also served on some board at PAX or worked with PAX in some way. We were like they're like, oh, Are you going to PAX? And we we're like, We don't know yet. We're so new. We got <laughs> we barely got in here. And he's like, yeah. Oh, don't worry. You guys are cool. I'll help you out. And that was how it happened. It just it's you know the yeah. It's people always say it's all about meeting people and networking. Um, and that's the truth. It's just, you got to network in a way that's not annoying, which I have right. been guilty of where you can't just talk to someone 
and act like you want something from them, you know? Yeah, and I've, totally. dude, I've been guilty of that where it's like, I'm trying to get a job in the industry. And it's like, as soon as you say that, no one wants to talk to you. Well, exactly. You've, you've like dropped your own foundation from you because now it's like the basis of me interacting with you is I'm asking you for something. And like, that's right. not mm-hmm. cool, you know? It's, it's terrible to say, but it is 100% some type of value exchange in some way, right? Like, yeah. well, I mean, when we were in, I mean, when we were in the press room and we were talking to some people, it was more of like an entertainment type of like, hey, we're new in the industry. You know, how are things? How are you doing? Have you seen anything on the show floor? I can tell you about the things that I've seen so far that I think are interesting. Mm-hmm. Are these, you know, and we would like trade notes essentially. And people seem to be more interested in saying like, you know, oh, okay, cool. Who are you with again? Oh, you're just starting. This is your first time. And then they grab some type of interest around like who you are and you're talking when you're trying to be as professional as possible. Um, but man, it's like, uh, it's definitely, there's, Justin and I talk about it all the time when we see people. There's the fan there's the way that you can come off as being like a fan or there's a way that you can come off as being like a, a person, uh, maybe not a person. It's like a, an equal almost yeah. like I see you as Dude, just a human. That goes back to the fake it till you make it thing where totally you just 100%. have to, that was the thing for us with, with packs. Um, when like we would, we never had like a big group, but it was like maybe four or five of us. And I remember the night before we had a conversation, it was like, remember you you even though you were not doing this professionally we're not doing this as our job you've made it here you're not pretending or acting like you're in the industry you are in the industry so don't act like a fan yeah, Dustin, don't I, I, you know? I love this you're like rallying the troops before you go into war it's like uh. well no yeah it was just small it was just like just remember like you don't need to you don't need to fake it like you don't need the other thing too is that we always told our our you know our small group that was like don't go on Twitter and and brag about some kind of access. Let totally. your content or your writing be the brag. If you feel the need to do that, but just saying something that, but like, oh, I got to check out something cool and secret. It's like that. No one cares about that. Yeah. yeah. Let the content speak for itself. You know, that's that stuff matters because I feel like, especially with Twitter. I mean, it's a lot of you're talking about social currency. I mean, damn, Twitter is unfortunately means a lot or at least it did at the time yeah yeah no absolutely it's i think it's the game has changed a bit now um Mm. as far as how far that really gets you but i feel like i i don't know i'm kind of curious when we're talking about fan interactions and stuff i imagine now you know you've kind of achieved this certain level of like fame right like you, you know. Yeah, like D-list internet celebrity. That's how I say, like, the absolute... Because <laughs> hey my family, I'm like, there are, are you famous? I'm like, no. Well, what I, what I mean is, like, t- this is kind of piggybacking off of what Justin said before, where it's like, you might meet people where they've listened to you talk for, you know, hundreds of, you know, hours <laughs> at this point, right? Um, maybe hundreds is, is a bit of a stretch, but let's say, you know, dozens of hours. So it's like, they're kind of like do have you had people approach you like they already know you and you're like you're a total stranger to me like i i imagine that's like that could be a weird dynamic it is slightly weird but i think that if you if you're cognizant like you said that these people you've you've been they've been listening to your conversations they have a one-way relationship with you and so it's so funny commonly when I'm talking to someone, they'll be like, oh, and you made this joke or you said this. I'm like, I, I don't remember saying that. I believe you. <laughs> yeah. Um, or they'll like play off of a joke that I said. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, oh, because you made this joke. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess you I would do. know that. And it's yeah. also it, it's the weird pressure. There's no reason I need to feel weird about this is that 
I'll meet people and then I'll be explaining like, oh yeah, I really like these games as if it's someone that knows nothing about me. But I'm like, they already, they heard me explain everything about this just like three days ago. Yeah. So I don't, I'm like, oh yeah, you know like, that. Where do, where do you fill in the gaps, I guess, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be so cool though on the on the other side of the spectrum though because like when I remember when you were at PAX you guys did like a meetup at a or not PAX at a too many games you guys did a mm -hmm. meetup at like a local brewery and stuff like that's gotta be so cool to be able to connect with these people and you're probably making their whole you know weekend to be able to like be there and hang out for a bit. My thing is that particularly at events or if we put on our own events and I don't like Colin and I have a really different view about this and that Colin doesn't enjoy that kind of like not that Colin doesn't like meeting fans but he's very much like we'll do the show we'll do the meet and greet but that's kind of like enough like he doesn't it, it extends him further just from a personal standpoint yeah but for me I'm always like I I don't know I just feel like I want to give as much as I can to the people that enabled me to be able to do this because so cool. yeah. I I like I I've, I like wake up in a cold sweat thinking about going back and filming weddings someday or something like that. And so it's like, man, these are the these are the people that allow me to not have to, you know, film another dance recital or something like that. And so it's just like we're I'm here at this event. I'm going to hang out and, and talk to as many people as possible. And it is fun. The the you know, the the intimate rea uh, interactions are always super fun. Just at this recent too many games, I met up with some people and we went to a different brewery and it's just like, cool. I got to have dinner with six different people and we just hung out and had a great time. And those are cool. And then there's like the mass scale. When we did our first live event, we just, we were like, Oh, we're going to have a picnic in a park the next day. And we had like a food truck and stuff. And we were expecting to be able to just kind of hang out and mingle. But mm -hmm. so many people came that we did a meet and greet that was six hours long. Oh um, which I thought I was going to die at the end. Like my voice, I like barely could talk, but it was, it was great. Just, it's like, especially it was weird for me because when I joined on the show, it was like 2020. And so there was no interaction with any fans or, or very many people at all. Yeah, and so yeah, finally right. we get to do this thing. It's like, Oh yeah, they're all the real people are out there. And that's the most like energizing thing to me is like, Day in, day out, I'm like on this laptop pushing a button to publish that eventually I'll see text pop up of people listening to it. But getting actually to meet people that listen is way, way it's a really hard. It's a really hard balance, right? Because it's like at a time you definitely want to put in more of your soul into like each of those individual fans. Because, yeah, like they are what kind of gets you to the point that you're at right now. Like they they deserve a little bit of attention, I suppose. Right. But mm -hmm. like when you have that six hour picnic, it's like. I want to talk to you guys more, but there's so many of you and there's only like really 20 minutes tops per person that I could be talking to. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of difficult to manage. Yeah, exactly. And that's all I, I think, you know, you mentioned about that interaction with Jeff Keeley. E3 is so tough that maybe he just like literally yeah. did. He was busy, like and he had to make a meeting and something. And so yeah. that's the, the thing for me is that I think uh, I'm always like, uh, I feel if I have to say, like, cut someone off or have to go, like, I feel really bad about it you know yeah so luckily yeah, though think, you, oh god oh no, no no i was just gonna say that it, it's a very like delicate thing to be able to you know craft a clean close and just be like hey like this has been awesome you know all this kind of stuff it's uh it's not a <laughs> not an easy thing yeah actually oh good 
Well, mine is going to go off in a slightly different direction, so keep going. I'll just say you mentioned about negative interactions. For the most part, I really – the most negative interaction, I would say, is just someone who somehow is more awkward than me. Um, and that's always like I, – I, I don't know. I'm, I'm like some weird mix of like uh, outgoing and not outgoing at the same time. Like sometimes I can turn it on. Even though inside I'm like, oh, did I, do I sound like a moron? You There's know? screaming going on behind the eyes, I see. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. sometimes I can tell when someone feels uncomfortable and it's like, okay. So now I, I just got to kick it up a few notches. Just to like compensate, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, to, like, just to compensate. I, did, I had one interaction after our one show where a guy was like really drunk and being like really friendly and really loud and i remember is this show on well i'll just won't say it because i don't i want to get you guys demonetized he like loudly <laughs> called me the c word in front of my dad Ooh, my dad was okay. like what the fuck are you doing like yeah not, not cool. i know that he didn't mean it he wasn't being mean but it's like you don't know me dude like what yeah. are you doing like we're not so, we're not cool like that <laughs> yeah so that was and that one it wasn't even like negative it wasn't like some guy was trying to fight me or or whatever but yeah but um, it's like it, he said it, it you're interacting with like a drunk person you know what i mean it's yeah just like, what oh, do you yeah. really do you know exactly um, so just to uh sorry justin you had a, a deviation you wanted to take go for it the small slightest deviation was more or less on the e3 experience that you had sure. so like besides outside of like fans and other people that know you from your content right but uh, when we go to E3 and what we've known, and now that E3 doesn't happen anymore, so maybe it's like open to say, like the W lobby tends to be where all of like the really interesting developers or people of the industry hang out. Have you ever found yourself in the W after hours? I don't think so. I did end up, we went to the Fig one night. The Fig. Oh, yeah. And we felt really yeah. out of place because we didn't mm-hmm. really know anybody to like start any kind of interaction. So we just kind of felt weird <laughs> yeah so can i ask how that night went like did you meet anybody interesting though or did you just kind of like sit back ironically the only person Watched. i really talked to that night was someone i already knew uh which was actually barrett uh who from now works at kind of funny but at the time ign <laughs> oh no 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 yeah not that right. no this is barrett from he worked at ign at the time and i had talked to him a little bit there but yeah that was like a weird night because i was like oh like i'm there's jason schreier is standing right near me and there's like all these different people here but again this comes back to the point that like deep down i am just felt awkward and weird and let that dominate that moment so i didn't really end up meeting very many people yeah that's fair justin kind of trained me uh i i've been around justin for like over 10 years at this point so like i've kind of adopted some of his mannerisms as far as like how to interact with people and like and like not really fear that initial like just say hello to somebody like just go there right so when we went to uh the w there it is kind of crazy it really is like at the time at least it was a who's who of games industry people that it was at the w where i had that terrible interaction with uh adam sessler but it was also like you know we met um so at the at the end of uh, the Boss Key situation, I, I don't know if you know Boss Key Studios, Lawbreakers, uh, mm-hmm. Cliff, uh, Cliffy B's studio. So they actually flew like th- this was probably the craziest thing. When we were still at TZR, low key place, they actually flew us out to Raleigh, North Carolina to stay outside of their studio and demo Lawbreakers before it came out. And I actually got to interview Cliffy B there. And I was like, this is like dream level shit i was like this is so crazy um and then the second time i met him was at uh was at the w like after that interaction it was cool because there was like a little bit of context there so it was pretty fun 
Um, yeah. And then there's also just the other like LA people that were sort of in that space. A lot of the other one up people, some IGN people. Um, it was a fun thing. Yeah, but uh, I'm gonna say for everybody listening, including you, Dustin, Justin praises me far too much. <laughs> Between the two of us, like I would say, we're equally as charismatic. It doesn't happen just like that all the time. But I appreciate all of the praise, Justin. Hey, seriously, all good, man. All good. <laughs> um, so I do. I did want to touch on the balance aspect. Where I know we were talking about sort of how we're able to sort of navigate relationships, but I'm more so curious from a workload standpoint because, like. You know, you, you'd mentioned like you see Maddie and you're like, how does Maddie do all this stuff? Right. Whereas I look at what you're doing and I'm like, OK, you're, you know, working on sacred symbols like you're you're taking the time to be on sacred symbols, which is not a short podcast. Right. That's many hours Four plus hours, man. <laughs> you know, working on <laughs> it's a long time, working man. on publishing this stuff, getting it out, doing episodes of plus, you know, uh, hosting uh, punching up and, and essentially orchestrating that entire show, which, you know, running your own podcast is not a small job. And then on top of this, you're, uh, it looks like you're sort of like experimenting with your retro channel on YouTube and kind of, you know, doing a little bit of stuff there, you're live streaming. And then you, you take time out of your schedule to come jump on the crit rate podcast (laughs) hosted by Justin and Justin. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, which we really appreciate, but it's like, how do you, how do you kind of find balance in your, day to day. I mean, this is a lot of stuff that you've got to juggle and, you know, let's say high stakes things as well. Like these are big shows. Yeah. Uh, well right now I'll tell you, it's harder than ever to juggle to the point where I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm concerned about being burnt out in some degree just because like right now for last stand, we post thir- like 13 out of 14 days in two weeks mm. we post. And wow. like one week, like uh, this week, this is our, we post every day this week. So um, it's tough. It, it's gotten tougher for me as I started as just production. And then I eventually moved up into um, like management aspects, not like managing people necessarily, but different stuff we have going on Projects. behind the scenes with producer yep. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also having hosting duties as well across through, well, Technically, uh, so Sacred Symbols, Sacred Symbols Plus, Punching Up, Constellation. Uh, so, yeah, and not that I'm on Constellation every week, but there's times where it's, like, also recording four days a week. But the yeah. pro- the thing is, is that the production the, – we have – I have handed off a, some production work, and it's not a little amount, but when we hired Ben, Ben is now doing all the fine audio editing. So all of our podcasts, all, you know, four hours of Sacred Symbols – all the ums, ahs, or weird sounds or whatever are all edited out. And so luckily Ben does that. But for me, I'm still doing any video that's posted on the Last End YouTube channel or on Patreon is done by or is rendered by me in my house. And every single thumbnail is done by me in every single Patreon post. Um, maybe not the writing, like Colin will write the description for his own shows and Maddie will do that. But it, the, the scheduling and the getting it on Patreon, that's yeah. all me. So... It has become quite a lot, and I, I will say it's be, it's getting. I'm not saying I'm like making mistakes left and right, but uh, keeping the Patreon schedule along with the public release schedule. When you have some shows that are like every other week, some that are every week, some that post three days after, some that post a week after, it's like it's gotten a little crazy. And so, I think I'm fine for now but i just wonder i keep telling people and i keep telling colin too i'm like no more shows 
Like we can't do Colin's like, oh, I think there's it would be nice if we could fit one more thing and then we'd have something every day of the week. I'm like, no. <laughs> we just Dustin, what are you doing at ten o'clock at night? Nothing. Yeah. Let's get on the mics. Come on. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's it's become a lot. It it's weird though in that like overall, some days I can have like super easy days where it's just like just hitting hitting publish on a thing or two and maybe getting one thing rendering, but then other days can be like, dude, particularly the the craziest parts of the week for me are Wednesday night, defining Duke finishes at like ten PM. Okay. So I that's we put that together and Ben starts editing that like into the night. And then in the morning, because uh I have to wait for Ben to be done with the audio, it's like get the posts ready, get the thumbnail ready, uh, you know, get it all ready to go and then so that publishes at noon so that's my morning on thursday then it goes right into sacred symbols at one so that goes from like one to you know five thirty, and oh, i have man. to chill out for a little bit then it's kind of the whole cycle again with getting sacred symbols ready to publish on friday and then so that's like friday morning is getting the thumbnail and getting all the publishing stuff and then yeah. if i'm on constellation that starts at one. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. that's that's the problem sometimes that comes in is that I'm wondering at some point, like we don't need to have somebody else because we're obviously it's working, but I'm yeah. also like, it would be really nice at some points to, to be able to ease up, but I don't yeah. know. We'll see. Well, that, that is, that is quite a lot. And it has me wondering, like, how do you, <laughs> how do you fit in time for games? You know, <laughs> it's like, I was just all, about to ask all of this, all of this content is hinging on the fact that you're playing games with some sort of regularity. And it's like, you know, where, where does that fit into the equation? Yeah. So like I said, those it's specifically like Wednesday night through Friday at noon. Usually there's like no games there are very few going on during that time, but yeah. that's why I've, I've tried to get more conscious about on those days that I'm not busy, not doing stupid stuff that I don't want to do. Not like, mm. like specifically, and I'm sure everyone does this. It's like, Oh, well, I've been, I've been looking at my phone for the last 20 minutes. That's like 20 minutes. I could have been playing a game or yeah. watching a show or something like that. So it's, trying to be more intentional about the time I'm quote unquote wasting, which I don't think gaming is wasting time, but you understand the point yeah, I'm, no, I'm it, trying to and, say. And this is a learned skill. You know, I, I found myself struggling with this a lot, you know, uh, so I have a kid too. So it's like, anytime I'm like, you know, I'm trying to maneuver the day where it's like, okay, like full dad attention right now. And then it's like, make dinner, do work, come back, call with Justin, you know, do all this kind of stuff. And then I, I don't know. It's, it's almost like my, I, I'm also like a, a ravenous gamer. Like I'm playing games as in every available moment that I can possibly find. And I feel like it's actually changed the way that I play games where like I would like now I'm like finding every 20 to 30 minutes and my console's always on. So it's like, I'll just pick it up for that half hour and just get as mm -hmm. far as I can get. Or I'll find myself waking up early. Like my kid wakes up at 6.30 in the morning. So I'll wake up at 5 and take that hour and a half to play whatever. And then it's like, okay, now the day starts, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's definitely a, uh, a balancing act for sure. Man, so that is quite a lot that you have going on. And then also the personal ventures. I just want to talk a little bit about your uh, your YouTube channel and Twitch streams. What's oh, kind of yeah, like yeah. your hope for these new avenues that you're opening up or experimenting with? Yeah, so the Twitch streaming is just kind of a fun way for me to 
connect with you know the the listeners or whatever and it's just i streaming i used to do a lot of streaming where i was trying to stream like two or three days a week mm. and that was like too much where i was starting to hate it and so i took a, a long time off and now i'm just streaming once a week at you know once a week and then maybe i'll throw in another one if i feel like it and i don't know that's just been i don't know it's it's mainly just fun i don't have any kind of like ambitions of of being a streamer but cool and then as far as the the youtube stuff i got i went down the rabbit hole with some different youtubers that make like retro gaming hunting content like Mm -hmm. um i really like pixel game squad yep and uh like retro rick which now he like runs a store and stuff so he's not doing as much of that but it's like this is really kind of cool fun content and I think I could do it and make it good because some there's some people out there that are pretty successful doing the same thing. I'm not talking about Retro Rick or, or Pixel Game Squad, but there's some yeah. people out there that are doing this that kind of suck at it and they're still getting views. Yeah. And so it would just be fun to do. And I took like I did it a lot last summer and then I took like a year off from it. And so that's kind of the nice thing with like it's like, OK, last stand's the main thing. I'm always that's obviously always going to be consistent. And so the side projects are are nice and that they're just fun to do. Like I just did another retro game hunt video. A few, uh, I think I posted that last week. Was that the one where just, you got? I don't know. I felt profile? like doing it again. So, is that the one that uh, you posted that you got Valkyrie profile? Yes. How much did you yeah. spend on that? Just tell uh, me. Just tell me how much it was six hundred. This on PSP? No, no. This is the PS one, and it was clean. Okay. I remember seeing. Dude, it it's so. It is the the mintiest game I own now i think of that era so yeah um how much well okay now i have to tell a slight story about it. how much did i spend 200 what but here's why that is absurd here's why it was technically three it was paid for with 300 dollars because my friend that was with me my friend matt flowers shout out i had some random boxed nes games and one of them was a really poor condition ducktales um, Ooh, and I also okay. had one other game that I don't remember. He collects inbox NES games. So I said, I'm going to give these to you. I don't want them. They're probably worth around $100, but it would be really hard to sell because of condition. You yeah. can just take them, spot me. You know, Eventually you'll find something and you can, whatever, we'll be even. Oh, so this was kind of the so fodder that got you there? He was like, hey, that Valkyrie profile looks really nice. I'll talk him down to 300 and if you put... If you, I'm in for a hundred. If you're willing to buy, spend the rest. Wow! It's like I'm never gonna mm. have an opportunity to get Valkyrie profile for two hundred dollars. So that was would, him being yeah. super nice, yeah, uh, and just, and offering to do that just for that condition. I mean, like I've I've one of we have a friend locally that runs a retro game store, and he's kind mm. of a stickler when it comes to condition. So when there's something super nice like that. Like he'll bump, he'll put like an extra hundred bucks on it. He'll put like four or five hundred bucks on something like that, you know, just mm-hmm. to do it because it's like you're not gonna see it. So two hundred, dude, you gotta. That's a great For those steal in the audience. How much does it usually go? I want to say it's like close in box. It, so price charting has a complete copy at two eighty five, but that's like that's also not realistic when you're talking about condition because that's like you know that's probably like top of market for like something that's slightly damaged, you know. Mm-hmm. So if you're at like a convention or in a retail store, you're probably paying four or something like that. Yeah, you know, okay. so two hundred is like a very good price. The, and that's the thing. So the other the other rare game, really rare game I own is Klonoa on ps1 and that Mm -hmm. was one so a lot of times (laughs) listeners will offer me they'll they'll message me and they'll offer to sell me games 
And I'm very clear that I really don't, there's very few times where I've taken anything for free from people because that just doesn't sit right with me. But he offered me Klonoa and he's like, hmm, I didn't know the value of this. It does look like it's worth a lot. Um, (laughs) But if you're willing to buy a bunch of stuff, I'll just give it to you for 200. That's nuts as well because that's like a five hundred dollar game. I don't know if it's like still in after the uh, re-release. Yeah, so that's the thing is I got really lucky with both of those. Um, yeah, yeah. But and that's the thing is that I, th- okay, this is the the problem with collecting and having the sick collector mindset is that I didn't want Klonoa. I didn't really. I don't know. Is there any nostalgia for the game? No. But I was yeah. like, I'm never gonna have a chance to get yeah. it yeah. for 200 bucks, and so I should just do it. And I did. Now it sits on my shelf. I've played it a few. I think I've popped it in once or twice. I keep telling myself one day I'll play it all, but we'll see if that actually happens. <laughs> well, see, that, <laughs> but, that, that was part of why I was gonna bring up the YouTube channel and stuff because it's funny. Like something like retro, you know, and, and I'm like, I don't know, a fairly major collector. Um, and I love this kind of stuff. And there was a while where I was streaming it and things like that and experimenting with YouTube because it's more like, you know, I, I enjoy that hobby so much that I just kind of want a reason to take it off the shelf and like open it up and put it in the console and all that kind of stuff. Otherwise, it a lot of it just sits, you know, so mm. to create a, a, a reason to do it is like pretty nice. I remember the last time I mean, and I haven't streamed for years at this point. But the last time I was doing it, I was just going through my GameCube collection. And it's just like whatever I had, I would just, you know, take it off the shelf and play it and, you know, go as far as I want to go. And then I'll try the next one the next day, you know? Right. Well, and that's the thing, too, is that I really try not if you're really collecting seriously, there's no way you're going to be able to play everything that you buy. Like, it's just not realistic. And like I said, there's the sickness. But I (laughs) I do try to play like I went through a phase um, last year where I was playing, I played like Mega Man Legends 1 and 2. I played yeah. through all the Metal Gear games. Uh, I played a, And I played Tombow 1 and 2. I played all this old stuff and it was great. It yeah. kind of just comes and goes. Right now, I'm playing a retro game I bought on uh, GameCube with a, through a fantastic HDMI adapter <laughs> uh, called oh, Eon that I got. No and I, yeah, yeah, I'm playing the dope. Thousand Year Door. I gotta tell you, okay, you said a Dude, lot of Thousand nice Year things. Door looks amazing. Dude, I am so impressed with this adapter. Let me tell you, <laughs> I've been awesome. showing my friends. I'm like, you remember how the GameCube looked? Look at this bitch. It's on my 4K Dude. TV. <laughs> Dude. And it, it looks yeah. so good. I was so I was so happy when you showed me that you had Thousand Year Door because like there are there are certain games that like really sing in progressive and that mm-hmm. game in particular, just that title screen. Like I remember. So I, I tell this story a lot, but when we were uh, experimenting with the prototypes of the GCHD, like when we found the one that we're like, this is exactly right. We just started going through and I have a very extensive GameCube collection that was not a soft flex, like, but it, it is what it is. But like we just started taking everything off the shelf. And I remember seeing the title screen of Thousand Year Door and being like, holy shit. <laughs> like, this yeah. Is like, yeah. And you very crazy. nicely didn't point out that I had the I didn't when I took the picture, I didn't have I had the image stretched out. And I realized yeah. after I'm like, that's embarrassing. I didn't say I didn't have my TV set right. I was just so excited when yeah, I yeah. saw it. I, I took the picture and I was like, oh, I got to fix that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is truly uh, it's just crazy yeah. Yeah. that it's like all of this 
image quality is like in there, yeah. but it just, it's all locked behind a digital AV port, you know, it's yeah. outstanding. It's a, Dude, it's I just, I need thing. one of these for every console that I own now is what hey, I was no, thinking. No I was problem, just like, bro. <laughs> I was like, that's yeah, I mean, what I need. On, I'm yeah. thinking about all these other things and I'm like, man, I just wish, actually, I, wish I had speaking that. Speaking of Dustin. So a fan of us writes us in, uh, says, Hey Dustin, Longtime fan, really nice to have you join the House Call podcast. Uh, my question, do you have any consoles that you would consider as a blind spot in your career that you've been wanting to get in, in, into? Oh. Uh, this is from Justin Chow from New Jersey. I are, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <very> <laughs> nice, yeah. Okay, let me, I'll, this is actually pretty fresh for me, is that I have a weird fascination just in my mind right now about Sega Saturn. Dude, it's a particular. huge mistake. Don't do it. That's what, dude. <laughs> I saw a Sega Saturn at the last event I was at, and it was a good. It was a decent price. I'm like, Dustin, don't, don't do it. Because yeah. I think you know why. Why I was so intrigued by it is that I keep seeing all the working designs games that came yep. out on Saturn. Yeah. I'm like, these look so cool. These like weird, obscure JRPGs. And then you see it's like six hundred dollars for the dude. game. And I'm I, like, I can never. I will. I can never break the seal on Sega yeah. Saturn unless I get a, a modded one that just uh, but that's the thing I'm a collector I'm not, I'm not going to do that either and do, so. so this is exactly the trap that I fell into so I, I'm I'm very much the same way where I was like I'm just so it was such I, it completely passed me by during the time that it came out it was not something mm -hmm. that I was even aware of literally right and then when I started getting into collecting I was like you know what I'm just going to like so my cousin he he's like very into like hard mods and he was just like, hey, so like, is there any, like, I just need a project to do. Like, is there anything that you're interested in? And I was just like, oh, I don't know. I've been looking at Saturns recently. And he's like, okay, I just bought a broken one on eBay for like 20 bucks. I'm just going to like fix it for you and I'll send it to you. And then, you know, two weeks later, I just have this Sega Saturn. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll get something for it. And I started buying just like a handful of games. And you realize very quickly that all of the sort of like, let's say, sub $100 games on Sega Saturn are not fun and you don't want to play them. Mm -hmm. But the games that are actually cool, you know, are so insanely expensive where mm -hmm. you're like, and then you're like, oh man, Burning Rangers, like Burning Rangers is so cool. And I'm a massive PSO fan and you know that there's like a lineage between Burning Rangers and PSO. And I'm like, that looks really cool. And then, you know, the Panzer Dragoon sagas and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I just can't do that. And then you start going deeper down the rabbit hole and you're like, but I could get them on the Japanese version and they're like less than half the price. And like, that would be super cool. But it's like, you're not going to play Panzer Dragoon in Japanese. It's like, that's not going to help you. <laughs> so yeah. I, I would recommend against Sega Saturn. It's probably Dude, not a good idea. And that's the thing is that I'm, I'm, I've been really focused on my PS1 collection for the last year now. Before that, years ago, I was really into Super Nintendo collecting, but yep. I... I kind of got all, a lot of the main stuff that I wanted. There's still a few, like I, I would love to have Earthbound, but I, at this point, it's like good luck. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, I was one of those. I don't feel like I've gotten a lot of super lucky finds in terms of like Facebook Marketplace and stuff like that. But yeah, the one Super Nintendo game I saw, someone was selling a a Super Nintendo in, with a box. I think this was like 2018. Okay. A box of games, and I noticed on one of the labels was Chrono Trigger. Yeah, right. I was like, mm. I would love, yeah, I'll, I will buy your Super Nintendo collection for a hundred bucks, which at, in 2018 was not bad, yes. but it was yeah. still like a little iffy. And I was yeah. like, oh yeah. Oh, so man. that's I got my Chrono Trigger in that collection. I think I also got someone else sold me a Super Nintendo that had a the Ninja Gaiden collection. Oh, trilogy. The trilogy, yeah. Yeah, I still don't I, have that. I immediately sold that. Uh, just to pay for everything else. Yeah, um, that, that's over a hundred bucks now. Just the cart. 
Yeah, it was just the cart. But, okay. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm an absolute sick person, and I'll I, at this point I really only collect stuff complete in box. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it adds a couple of, uh, <laughs> you know, it adds a couple more dollars to each game. Dude, I can't. That's another thing that I I refuse to to break. Well, I've I've like lightly broken the seal on a few things. Like I've gotten Super Mario three. One of these. <laughs> oh, dude, is that sealed? Uh, no, no. Oh, no, it's, it's in a, a okay. It's in a plastic, case, but it is complete. And dude, that, that I that's bought hot. that. I bought that from Midwest Gaming Classic for two hundred dollars. And that was like. 2018 2019 that's like a thousand for those listening now. it's uh it's a it's a complete set of uh oh yeah sorry chrono for trigger. audio listeners it's a, it's a complete <laughs> yeah. inbox chrono trigger with all the posters and manuals and all that kind of stuff so yeah i guess overall like as far as uh so yeah sega saturn i am interested in but i'm, I'm staying focused on ps1 like i'm really trying to get yeah. a lot of the jrpgs i'm really intrigued by um like I, I mentioned working designs earlier, which I haven't mm. I got Lunar. Someone sold to me Huge. on Facebook Market for a hundred bucks, which, which was great. One? Second story or second saga or complete? The first one. Complete, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, complete. I haven't played it yet. I'm so intrigued by that though, just because no one ever talks about that game. But the people that play it are like, This game's awesome. It's like seems to be like a real like an actual hidden gem that yeah. people don't talk about. Mm. Do you ever play Alundra? Uh, no, but I know what you're talking about. So Alundra is not as crazy expensive and it's actually pretty cool. It's, it's more akin to like a link to the past, but it is like full on like JRPG aesthetic type game. Uh, would recommend that one. Yeah. Uh, I don't know much about the second one, but the first one is like, so, like less than a hundred bucks and pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, dude, collecting is, is, is so annoying, but I also love it. Cause it's like, you, you know, you mentioned blind spots too. I never had a GameCube growing up. Hmm. And of course, right now, I'm like, GameCube is pretty cool. And yeah, literally everyone thinks that right yeah. now because GameCube is absolutely insane. So I've been trying to, it's a great I'm resisting console. GameCube, but at the same time, it's like, oh, uh, just, you know, I bought Twin Snakes the other I told day. You. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad bucks. you got that. Oh, I'm so glad you got that. Yeah. So I finally got this. I haven't played it yet. You're, you are going, you know what? I will be very curious to see your opinion about this because I, I know you uh, you've recently played through all of them mm. and the common opinion is that that game is like not good, but I totally disagree. I find that game to be extremely playable, very good looking, extremely fun. Like, uh, I'll yeah. be very curious to, to know your opinion after uh, you play it. Someone pit- And for everybody listening, that was uh, Metal Gear Solid. The, the Twin, Twin Snakes, Snakes is what he held up. On GameCube yes. with the cracked on uh, ink on the Ooh, disc, oh, which oh, is just man. unavoidable. Uh, you, got, you got that manual in there? How oh, much yeah. was that? This was like a hundred. I yeah, the right. guy I bought it from, uh, good uh, a friend of mine uh, at uh, Retrograde Collectibles in Pittsburgh. Cool. Shout out. Very uh, cool. Okay, wait. You bragged about a game that you have. Yes. So I must <laughs> brag about something that I have close by. Oh, I'm ready. And for that it. is my long box copy of Twisted Whoa, Metal. Oh, very that cool. I sent wow. to David Jaffe and had him sign it for me. Yo, oh, wow. That's, so that's awesome. Yeah. That's so sick. Now, hang on. I I think the long boxes are so cool, but I also hate collecting them because the little cardboard on the top peels off. Is all your mm-hmm. glue still like set? It seems like it's dude. The So this was one that uh, a listener sold to me. Um, not quite as good of a deal as the other stuff. But yeah, the, the all of the dude, that's clean. It that's is pretty clean. clean. And uh, I sent basically a giant box to David Jaffe since he's a, he's a friend of ours, and I was I sent him like some of my God of War stuff. 
I sent him this. I even had like a drawn to death card from oh, PSX cool. that that's I sent him. Like, day. please sign. So I just had him sign on myself. But this is the coolest one yeah. for sure. Dude, that's, that's great awesome. conditions for the listeners. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. So there's a copy of Jumping Flash, but you see how everything's like peeling back. Oh, so this that's is, a different. Yeah. This one, that like plastic part on the the ridge, this is printed on. It's printed. Oh. Yeah. It's like a different. So, Type. Yeah, no, this is like the whole edge on and it's like this with this and Resident Evil. It like they're mm. notorious for peeling up like that. I absolutely yeah. hate it. But it that's weird. It is, but know. this is the only lo- PS1 long box that I have. I've I've just been so focused on on newer like well not newer, but you know, what I mean, later in the console JRPGs. Yeah. I'm like eventually I'll get to the long boxes, but hopefully uh I'll also have like more money since these are much more expensive. <laughs> I'm like that's going to be a whole to go down uh, yeah. sometime later. Is there anything that's like on your hit list right now that you're like, wh- the next time you see it, you're getting it kind of thing? Oh, I don't know about the next time I see it, I'm getting it. Um, like how, are, how, how obscure are we getting with uh, PS1 stuff? Like, are you looking at like Azure Dreams or Rhapsody or Dragon Seeds? Dude, or I've, kind of stuff? I've, I looked at a copy of Rhapsody last time. I'm like, I, this game looks weird. I'm yeah. interested. It looks cool. It's supposed to be awesome. I've never played it, but it looks really, really cool. It's like a yeah. music-based RPG for the listeners. Right. The, so my main holy grail right now is not actually a game. Uh, it's I want a PlayStation neon sign, like one of the uh. ones that it has like the logo and then it just says out PlayStation. I've seen them here and there on pop up online they're always like a thousand bucks and i'm like eh, yeah i don't so know i'm gonna so, i'm gonna send you a link to another facebook group because <laughs> so <laughs> I, I know i sent you the the video game vinyl one there's one yeah. that specifically is about collecting kiosks and like those types of things and you can find that stuff for like decent prices oh that would be dude that's that's exactly what i'm looking for i I'll, feel I'll, i feel bad i feel like i'm a gateway drug for you <laughs> oh dude no that's, that's Justin, you have to embrace your inner buyer you know what i mean oh that's the thing is i have that's the problem (laughs) (laughs) that is the problem i've I've embraced him i'll tell you the most painful uh game that i desire right now is that i mentioned playing Mega Man legends one and two i love those games growing up yeah i was able to get them again Mega Man legends cost me a little two cost me a little over 100 so that was a little painful but not horrible the painful part Mm. is the misadventures of tron bond the spin-off game that's probably that's like top three rarest games on ps1 right now that's that shit is hard yeah but guess what i owned it oh no i owned it up until like 2014 or 15 yeah and recently i don't know what was wrong i this was like when before way before i worked for colin and and i think like Holly and I combined were not making very much money at all. And I didn't need to sell it. Like, I wasn't like, it's either this or, you know, milk and bread or something. You know what I mean? It was like, I wanted something. And I was like, well, I'm not really into collecting right now. And I don't really care about this. So I'm going to sell it. Yeah. And now I just can't even imagine how I had that mindset. I remember I sold it for like $250 and I thought like I was the richest man ever. I'm like, okay. oh, I got away with that. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. So <laughs> I'm going to yeah. give you two stories. I'm going to give you two stories because I, I feel I feel your pain so, so hard. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. So there's this one. Okay. So the, the, all right. Think of me what you will for this story. There's a notoriously overpriced retro game store in our area. It's around Princeton. 
Um, and they are they will just absurdly price the games there. And when I say absurd, I mean absolutely illogical, right? Like they'll have a boxed copy of Prince of Persia Sands of Time on the GameCube that will, they'll have marked for $170. And it's like, you're just crazy. Like, there's nobody that's buying that. You know what I mean? So one day, uh, this was back when I was in college. So we're talking like 20, uh, Jesus, I'm so old. Uh, like 26, uh, 14, something like that. And I walk in there and they have a copy of Pokemon Box. And oh, Pokemon yeah. Box on the label, it said 4000. So knowing that these people overpriced their games... Clearly, they were looking for four thousand dollars for this grand. game. Yeah. So, uh, I noticed that the person that was working there was like the guy who owned the store's mom or something, somebody who did not look very educated on games. So I was like, "Oh, hey, so like, how much is this game?" And she like pulls it out and she like hands it to me, and I was like, "Oh, is that forty? And she's like, "She's like, oh uh, yeah, forty. And I was just like, oh, "Okay, oh, I'll take no. it." <laughs> so I bought the game for 40 bucks and it was complete and it was so nice, dude. It was like, oh my God, it was so crispy. So I walked away with it for 40 bucks. Fast forward many years of my life. This is when the game, like pre-COVID, GameCube's blowing up like crazy. Everything's like so expensive. And I'm looking at this copy of Pokemon Box and I'm like, you know what? This isn't even a game. Like there's no way it's going to get more expensive than it is right now. Like the market's absolutely nuts. I'm just going to sell it. So I end up selling it for $800. And I was like, wash my hands like beautiful. Like I made I made out on this. This is amazing. Look at it now. 1600, 1700 bucks for this thing. Oh my god. I'm like, "Oh, mm-hmm. I totally blew it." But you know what? I made It's not even a game. I still made It's not even a game, but I made my money on it, so game. I was happy about that. Yeah. Dude, story bucks, story that's, uh, do you feel like a little justified? You're like, yeah, these guys scam people every day. So fuck them. You know, yeah, kind of. I kind of did feel like that. Um, but uh, I try not to think about it. I kind of like cast that out of my mind. I was like, I asked a question. They said yes. And then I bought it for this thing that they said. Dude, so that's, that's a, a it's just like I know the Fortnite party. I'm like, our names are on the back of that paper, whether or not they were intended for that purpose. There it is. That's there sometimes it is. that's what you do. Um, so story number two, and this actually ties back to the, the games industry journey. So first E3 I ever went to 2009, right? When I got this ticket to, um, to E3, the very first one, again, I wrote like maybe a dozen, you know, reviews on a live journal. And this woman somehow believed me and gave me a media pass to E3 in 2009. I'm like, this is crazy. So this is my sophomore year of college and I am broke capital B broke, like going home on the weekends to deliver pizza with no gas in my car broke as hell. (coughs) So when I get the ticket to E3, I was like, how am I going to afford this flight? Like I got to buy a flight and I got to get a hotel. Like what am I, how do I do this? Right? So I look at my games collection and I was just like, I'm just going to sell it all. I was like, I'm going to sell, I was like, I'm going to sell my gaming past to fund my gaming future. Like that's what I'm going to do. So I remember just going to my local game shop there and dropping grail after grail after grail. I had like Final Fantasy three complete in box. I had like a, a Dreamcast copy of Res complete in box. Like just uh, I mean, the, the list goes on. But I remember just selling all this stuff for pennies. But it was enough to get that flight and get my hotel. And I was like, I did it. I, I sold all this great stuff just so I could go to E3. And, and it happened. And. Here we are now. I'm glad you sold it for that reason, though. Any other reason, it would be egregious and terrible, and I would feel a lot of regret yeah. for you. But 
seeing as how it turned out. I mean, it was totally I worth mean, it. Look at us now. We're interviewing Dustin Furman, executive producer of Sacred Symbols on the Crit Rate podcast. Go to critrate.io and fill out your profile today. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So it's, it's so funny that, uh, you know, Retro kind of like has these sort of ebbs and flows and it, it is both a, uh, a joy and a sickness, <laughs> like you said. I will say, like, I've honestly never, I have my own collection of which some of them are just discs without boxes <laughs> or boxes without games in them. Which I am very upset about. My I'm upset at my past self for being so uh, I don't know flagrantly irresponsible about it. You know what I mean? Like I have Cannon Spike and I have the 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 the, the game case, and I where's the disc? I, I have to have it somewhere. Oh my god! You know Cannon Spike? Um, uh, no. What? So, what? So what's that? So Cannon Spike's actually a really cool game. You could you could look this up later. A- actually, ask Colin if he knows what Cannon Spike is. Cannon Spike is a very like limited release underground twin stick shooter on the Dreamcast where you play as old Capcom characters. So oh you can- yeah, Mega Man. Like in it. It's so cool. It's like one of the coolest Dreamcast yeah. games that are that's out there. And I remember when I came over to Justin's house for the first time, I was like, "Holy shit! Like you have Cannon Spike because it's like a three hundred dollar game." Um, and then I opened it up and no disc inside. Sad there day. It was. Sad day. But yeah. I will say that as Justin has like gone through his like collecting journey and I've been like there to witness it basically for the past, how long have we known each other? Since 2006. So uh, goddamn long ass time. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing all of this kind of like gestate into what it is now, I, it's really nice to have not just pieces of your childhood back in like its purest, nicest form, but also you have like a, a literal moment in time that you kind of own, you know, like these games, you're not, they're not making any more of these essentially. Right. And you're trying to find these like old things that have been passed down from, you know, parent to kid to garage sale to other now, you know, adolescent people to like our age adults now. And like, and then they sit on a shelf and they're like appreciated. Yeah. And I feel like one thing that I wish I had the funds for is to go into things like too many games and like go around and like pick these little pieces off because like how nice is it to have a library of all these old games and then have the system which you can just plug it into and then play it Mm -hmm. right now um it's outstanding it's really nice and i wish i had the funding to get into it as hard yeah but it's a cool thing it's a cool thing all right well fellas i feel like we've gone for quite a bit i mean dustin we're holding you up from a from a live stream aren't we I just pushed it till tomorrow because I just didn't feel like it anyway. So okay, <laughs> that's well, okay. Right, it's all good. We, we know that you're running a busy schedule, and game time is precious. So why don't we wrap this podcast up and we will let you go, Dustin? Tell the good folks of Crit Rate where they can find you, things you're looking forward to, where they can find you on social, all that good stuff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. I'm at Dustin Can Fly, and that's also my YouTube channel where I've posted some retro game stuff sporadically. Will I make another video ever on the channel? I don't know. Probably. I don't know when. <laughs> so you can go check out the ones I have there, at least so far. I posted one last week. And then all my podcasting stuff is through Last Stand Media, which uh, is on YouTube, Last Stand Media. And Sacred Symbols, of course, is the big thing for PlayStation, but we also just launched a Nintendo show called Punching Up, which has been really fun. So if you're into that as well, uh, you can check that out. You said thing that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Uh, Armored Core 6 is the number one thing that I'm looking forward to right now in life. I'm just very, very excited as a big From Software fan. And uh, 
Have you been watching all of the trailers and the gameplay stuff? I mean, it seems like a lot of people in the content creation space have gotten some type of preview code, mm-hmm. and I refuse to watch any of it. Yeah, I watched some of it just because I'm not, I've never played an Armored Core game. So it's like mm-hmm. a weird dichotomy that I love from software. I love everything they do, but I've never played one of these games. So I've just kind of mm-hmm. like been checking it out. I'm now like, I'm good. I don't need to see anything else. Looks cool though. I'm I'm a little intimidated by it, but I'm like, hey, if I I barely could figure out Sekiro the first time I played it, and now I've beaten it like six times. So yeah. I can figure if I can figure that out, I can probably figure out Armored Core. Heck yeah! And yeah. oh my gosh, we had an entire episode of our weekly podcast where we were just talking about how excited we are about missile trails. We just want to shoot mm. one <laughs> missile that explodes into more missiles, and then all those <sighs> missiles hit something. Oh, yeah. my God. It's like, <laughs> it's the best. Yes. Oh, man. So that's awesome. <laughs> well, guys, be sure to check out Dustin doing all things Last Stand Media. Check out Dustin Can Fly on Twitter or other associated platforms. X. Ridiculous. Yeah. If you will. I, it's so uncomfortable to say. I don't want to say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Um, what do we call tweets now? X's? I think so. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, there's always great stuff going on over there. I want to thank you for your time, Dustin. We appreciate mm-hmm. you coming on and hanging out with us for a bit. Uh, and then for our listeners, be sure to check out critrate.io where you can take your gaming profile, find out what games are suited for you and your gaming tastes. Uh, and until next time, thank you, Dustin, and thank you, Justin. Thank you, Justin. Uh, and we will see you all on the next one. Bye, everybody.